0: Turn to 1 Kings 19. Chapter 19 of 1 Kings is a chapter that is, uh, There's. is... Let's just say that there's differences of opinion on how to understand this chapter. Okay? And... Uh, so we've, we've been through Elijah's life, we've been in his life for a while, and we've been through that great and glorious story that is a, such a strength to our faith where the prophets of Baal and Baal himself are defeated Fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice and the altar and the water. And then God sends rain when the people have confessed the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And now Elijah runs away. Now Elijah runs away. And the question is, is Elijah now finally, do we get our, oh yes, here is the weakness inherent in man. Here is where we get to feel good, like, oh yeah, Elijah really, you know, everyone has their problems. And even Elijah, that great and glorious prophet. Well, we do see his weakness for sure. We do see his weakness, but I think what a lot of people want to do is make Elijah's actions into his sins here. I don't think we can justify that though. And I think if you just, we'll see this throughout the chapter. We're only going to read the first eight verses this morning. But even here, we'll face one of those questions. Was was Elijah right to run away? Let's stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 8. Now Ahab told Jezebel, it's like tattling, right? You kids ever tattle? Ahab went and tattled to his wife. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose, and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We get depressed in this life, don't we? There's probably no one in here over the age of, I don't know, 10, that hasn't suffered under the weight of the sorrow that we call depression, right? Where our spirit is depressed, It's not exuberant and joyful. It is weighed down. And we think, life sucks. And even if we don't say it, or even if we don't have the words for it, we feel it. Right? And people can see it on our face, on our countenance. I don't like this. And sometimes, it's because we're being disciplined. I don't like this. Right, And other times it is because we are facing various sorrows and trials of this life, the result of the sins of others, not of ourselves. And of course, there are many other reasons why we may be depressed. This... Last month or so, I have been saddened and at times depressed about a particular thing. You know that a few months ago, the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade. What a joyful thing. I would say that that is almost as miraculous as fire coming down from heaven and consuming the sacrifice. And you know what? Then I got depressed. Not because God had worked, because that was indeed God working in a way that I had prayed and prayed and prayed for, but never truly expected an answer to prayer. Never truly had the faith to believe that he would, though I surely would have said that he could. Maybe doubted even that. Sometimes we get depressed just because we've been on the mountaintop And had the experience of the joy of seeing God work miraculously. Work in power. And we feel the nearness of God and we see clearly the purpose of this life. To glorify Him. We see clearly His work on the earth and it gives us joy. We see... His truth and and His powerful name and, and it brings us great joy and then we run down the mountain away from the storm that's coming. The rain is coming and it's just, you know, you're not on the mountain anymore. That's all that's changed is there's no longer that mountaintop experience and it's a letdown. And so you can be depressed just from the no longer being on the mountaintop. Or maybe you've been through something super intense and God has worked. And that's really what's going on with Elijah, right? The, the, the intensity, the adrenaline rush of that event. and then And the next day, there's no adrenaline rush. And you know what? Biologically, physiologically, you know what happens when you don't have adrenaline and you come down off of that adrenaline? You feel sad. It's just very easy for us coming down from the mountain to be depressed. Right? This is why at a pastor's conference years before I was a pastor, I, uh, I was there to record it, so that's why I uh, don't remember anything else of what I heard at that, that conference because I didn't hear anything of that conference, but I happened to walk into a session, and and it was a general session, and I heard the man, a pastor to many hundreds of pastors, say, people, somebody sometimes ask me. Why don't you take Monday off? That's what most pastors do. They take Monday off. He said, I don't want to feel that bad on my own time. Why do pastors take Monday off? Because it's the day after the adrenaline rush and the intensity and the height of the week is Sunday and Monday is a letdown. And so pastors are depressed on Monday. And this guy was like, why would you you be depressed on your day off? Don't be depressed on your day off. Work Work on the day you're depressed. And then when you feel better at the end of the week, take that day off. He was simply speaking to the nature of how depression works and adrenaline and highs and lows of life that come sometimes on a weekly regular basis sometimes on a monthly basis sometimes on the cycle of life with pregnancy and childbirth delivery and raising and nursing and then weaning that child we go through cycles in our life right and then we have highs and lows in those cycles. And so part of what we're seeing with Elijah here is that uh, he's not on the mountain anymore. But part of what we're seeing is that he got a message from the king's wife, that wicked woman, Jezebel, who wants him to know that she's going to kill him. And that kind of Sucks. Right? Is God's name glorified on the mountaintop? Absolutely. The people all say, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And so, God was also glorified when Roe versus Wade was struck down by the Supreme Court, but what's happened since then? What's happened since then has been what's depressed me. Is there any will in this nation to end the bloodshed? There is some. Is there a majority? And so I have I have struggled with sadness and sometimes depression over that feeling as though it's actually hopeless. Even though God has just demonstrated His power. Right? God has just demonstrated His power, but I still feel... How many times have the people said, the Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. They're still living under Ahab and Jezebel. How long will they worship the Lord? How long will this repentance last? Is it true repentance? Or will they simply turn back to worshiping idols? Will they simply turn back to Baal and Asherah? The Lord has shown that He is God in this nation, in this year. Praise His name. And now Christians who have peacefully protested at abortion clinics are being arrested by SWAT teams sent from the Justice Department. Jezebel is still the queen. And that's depressing, isn't it? And it's easy to become scared because of that, isn't it? Elijah gets a message from Jezebel. So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You go, if you you think about the beginning of that verse, so may the gods do to me and even more You've heard that before, right? Except you haven't. There's a change in this from the other places that you see it in the Bible that I remember. So may God do to me and more also. It's a vow. It's a promise before the Lord, right? But She's, and and you'll see wicked men vow before the Lord to do wicked things. But she's one step further than that, isn't she? So may the gods do to me and more also. The gods that can't do anything to her. What a vow. The gods that have been shown to be impotent, totally powerless. Unable to provide rain, unable to provide food, unable to send fire, unable to do anything. But she's still swearing by those gods. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time... And so, the wicked, though they have seen the power of God displayed, they hate God and they hate His servants. And they rise up in anger with vile threats against His people. the day after Roe was struck down. There was a lot of this, wasn't there? The outpouring of rage against God and his demonstrated holiness. And that hatred crystallizes and is turned to God's people. Because we can't get at God. We can only shake our fists at Him. But boy, can we make His servants suffer. And so Elijah receives this threat, the brunt. As the one who is foremost in calling the people to repentance. In calling the people to worship God and not idols. So he is foremost in struggling with the consequences from God's enemies. Jezebel hates God and she takes it out on God's servants, Elijah. And he was afraid. Although it is worth noting that he was afraid is one of the places where there's even question as to what the text says. If you look in your Bible, you may well see a footnote. Verse 3 reading of many the reading of many manuscripts the hebrew text may read saw not he was afraid he saw and arose and ran for his life <laughs> i don't think it matters he ran for his life right He knows the danger is real. The gods can't do anything to Jezebel, but Jezebel can kill him. And so, he saw, he was afraid, he ran for his life. Should he not have? No, I think he should have. Now here, to, to truly answer this question requires us to know the heart of Elijah. Now, you wouldn't think that. You'd think, well, either you should flee or you shouldn't flee, right? I mean, it's, it's a moral choice. It's some sort of like yes or no question. Should you flee or should, you know, should I stay or should I go? Okay. No, it's not that simple. And it's not that simple because when we realize That throughout history, there have been men who have fled and men who have not. By faith, we see in David's life, him fleeing and him staying. Right? By faith, those who have been persecuted and those who have been under the threat of death throughout church history have felt their consciences bound. I must stay and trust the Lord no matter what comes. Many of them were burned, thrown to lions or gladiators, torn by wild beasts, cut in two. To read Hebrews, it was already happening. Church history already existed when Hebrews was written. And it has continued since then. So in one sense, it seems like it's a yes-no question. But there's no command of God requiring one or the other. And so why does it then, then we can say, well, whichever is fine, right? No, it's still not that simple. The reason I said we have to to dive into the heart of Elijah is because whatever is not of faith is sin. And so if Elijah is fleeing out of faithlessness, then it's sin. But if he is... Fleeing by faith, it's not. And you can flee by faith. And you can stay by faith. And you can stay faithlessly. You can stay trusting in horses and chariots or Egypt, right? Well, we certainly see and are reminded here that Elijah was just a man like us, wasn't he? Just as the New Testament tells us, this man of prayer, who accomplished much through his prayer because God answers our prayers, This man ran for his life because he was a man. He wasn't an angel. He was a man. And so, he came to Beersheba. Where is Beersheba? It says... To us, which belongs to Judah. Okay, one of those random details that's thrown in. Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And you're like, okay, okay, whatever, you're right. But, But it matters. It's not a random factoid thrown in. It's a factoid that has import for the story. Because Beersheba, if it belongs to Judah, that means it's not under Ahab. Ahab is the king of Israel, not Judah. So he crosses the state line. And they can't follow him across state lines. And there's no federal government anymore. Right? So he's he has crossed out of her power zone and into a place that is safer. Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there, and he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Okay, so a day's journey into the wilderness means it's her vow is already done, failed, right? Get to Judah, then get a day's journey into the wilderness in Judah, and Okay. But what? But now he's in the wilderness and he's not safe even in Beersheba. It's right on the border, right? And they're always at war. She could just say, ah, well, you know, if it takes taking Beersheba to get Elijah, well, then that's what we'll do. So he goes into the wilderness. And if Beersheba falls, they're not going to find him there. And then he sat down under a juniper tree and he was depressed, wasn't he? He requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life. For I'm not better than my fathers. Sometimes the answers to our prayers are no. Interestingly, the answer to Elijah's prayer is not actually no. It's basically a not-quite-yet, not-quite-yet. But as we proceed through this chapter, what we will see is that God gives him relief from his work. He passes on the mantle. We use that phrase, passing on the mantle, still sometimes. Today, I think it's even today falling into disuse. But uh, I think it comes directly from this coming passage because Elijah wore a mantle. And he passes that mantle on. We'll get there. We're not there yet. Where we are right now is Elijah saying, I'm not greater than my fathers. The end of my life is coming. I'm ready. God, take me. Take me home. I'm ready. Because this life is terrible. I don't like it. I want to be done. Nevertheless, although I've said the answer was not really no, certainly not yet is a hard answer as well, isn't it? But what does God do? God sends a messenger, an angel. Angel just means messenger. God sends a messenger. God sends an angel. To refresh him, what does he do? He lays down, sleeps under the juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise, eat. Now, God sends messengers. To us God sends messengers to us to refresh us when we're sad when we're depressed when we're anxious when we're lonely God sends messengers Anybody might be a messenger from God. Anybody. As a matter of fact, going back to Hebrews again, listen to this command. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. When you hear the word of God from somebody, that somebody is a messenger of God. Right? God is sovereign. God is the one who sends so that our paths will cross with Philip, Philip, on the road to nowhere, on the road to Ethiopia. Philip, the evangelist, is there. Why? Well, because he's a messenger from God. Is he an angel? No. He's a deacon. But he is an angel, isn't he? to that Ethiopian eunuch desiring to know, what does this book mean? And so God sends messengers. He does not leave us alone. Even in the wilderness, hanging out under a juniper tree wishing we were dead. He sends messengers, messengers to refresh us. Now, sometimes those messengers, I've said they can be anybody, right? Sometimes they are a random person at the grocery store saying, God bless you. Now, how are you going to respond to that? He hasn't. You see see how we are tempted to reject the messengers of God, to reject the message of God, and to reject the refreshment of God. Elijah says, it's enough. Take me. Let me die. I don't want to keep doing it, God. And God sends a messenger to refresh him. Food. And the angel shakes him. His shoulder, I'm sleeping. Wake up. It's time for you to eat. Really? I was hoping I'd die out here. No, it's time for you to be refreshed. It's time for you to be strengthened. Eat the food. Be refreshed. An angel comes to Elijah, but who comes to you? Who is the messenger from God to you? Yeah, it it could be anybody. It might be a donkey. It might be your kids. It might be the billboard that you drive by. God is real. 855 for truth. God is real. Hell is real. Heaven is real. Jesus saves. It's easy to mock billboards, isn't it? That's not a message from God to me. Are you sure? Is that what you need to hear right now? Not from a random billboard. Why doesn't he send me an angel? That's your angel. That's your angel. That's your messenger. Are you going to reject God's message? Are you going to reject being refreshed? Strengthened. Eat the food. God sent it for you. So that you be refreshed. Don't be a rebel like the rest of the Israelites. Who have you depressed. They never listen to God. This is. Is so depressing to me that I am not going to listen to God. Wait, no. No, no. When God says be strengthened, you're to be strengthened. When God says eat, you eat. When God says rejoice, you rejoice. Now, it could be anyone. It could be anything that God uses as his messenger. But it would be wrong for me not to point out that God has provided pastors and elders to his people to proclaim God's word to you. And so when the pastors and the elders tell you, eat. Be strengthened. Be refreshed. And they're there with you in the wilderness. Don't reject them. Take courage. Listen. Listen to me. Listen to Tom and to Ken Listen to God's word. Don't reject them. Elijah didn't reject God's provision. And the command that came with God's provision was avail yourself of my provision, which I have provided. Eat. That's the command. The messenger has a command from God and food. And the command that comes is, you are to eat it. Elijah obeys God's command and he eats. But Elijah wanted to die. And eating will lead to him living. Well, God's command... Supersedes our desires, doesn't it? When God says, Eat, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, then we rejoice, even if we don't want to. God provides the food. What is the food that God has provided for you? It's his word. Eat it. Be fed. Be filled. Be refreshed. Be strengthened. God doesn't just provide food for him, though God also provides the strength necessary for the work that Elijah is about to do, that Elijah is about to be required to do by God. It's time for a journey. Elijah is going to Horeb, and Horeb is not near Beersheba in Judah. Elijah is not running further away from God and the work that God has called him to do. He wasn't running away from doing God's work when he went to Beersheba either. Horeb is a unique place, and we'll get to that. But what I want you to see is that God provides the strength Required for the work. Obedience to God, eat, be refreshed. Obedience is what prepared him and gave him the strength necessary for the next task. Obedience leads to obedience, obedience leads to ability to obey. The fruit of obedience is more obedience, just as the fruit of rebellion is more rebellion. Just as the fruit of lying is more lying, so the fruit of obeying is more obeying. Obedience is what makes him fit for the journey that he's about to undergo. But I want you to see also that God does this twice. Eat. And there. What was the refreshment? Bread, cake baked on hot stones. Oh, does that not sound good? Have you ever been backpacking and, oh, a hot meal would just be wonderful. And not a hot meal made with dehydrated food with boiled water poured into it, but an actual, like, cooked nice, Bread that's been kneaded twice in rows. And it's nice and fluffy. and Oh, it's delicious. This is God's Word. It is delightful to those who are in the wilderness and who have not been eating. Have you been in the wilderness spiritually with nothing to eat? When the bread is hot, and all you have to do is eat it? Not once. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him. Arise, eat! Because the journey is too great for you. You will not have the strength. That's what that means. You don't have the strength. You are not strong enough for what God has called you to do. You're about to go on a journey to Horeb. You don't have the strength. So eat. eat, drink. So he ate and drank. And the second time, instead of lying down again, now he has been strengthened to do that work. Going to Horeb. It's a strange thing, isn't it? 40 days and 40 nights without food? It's a strange thing. Like, what? why does Horeb matter that much? Why, did, like, why doesn't he just eat along the way? It's not like he's hiding from Ahab and Jezebel on this journey. Nevertheless, this is the work that God has for him. A strange sort of work to us, but it's what God has called him to. What has God called you to do? What is the work that he's given you to do? For some of you kids right now, the work God has given you to do is to learn to read. Okay? You know what? Some people find that easy. Some people find it hard. Personally, I find fasting very difficult. What is the work that God has called you to do that you're not sufficient for? That you're not strong enough for? Some people aren't strong enough to wait. You remember Saul? Saul's job was to wait. To wait for Samuel. He wasn't strong enough to wait. Are you waiting? God will give you strength. But only if you're relying on the strength of the Lord, only if you're refreshed by Him, will you be able to wait. Elijah's now going to wait 40 days for food. You think he wanted it by the end? Maybe, maybe the work that God has called you to do isn't weird at all. Maybe it's just to keep on doing the work of getting up every day, making food, changing a diaper, cleaning up spit-up, getting up, changing a diaper, making food, cleaning the bathroom, getting up, Making some food, changing another diaper, staying up, staying up, staying up, and staying up, and making some food, I haven't gotten anywhere near 40 days. And you're all going, I know. I've lived through more than 40 of them. It takes, it takes 40 long days to get through 40 days. One more day. Being refreshed by God will give you the strength to do one more day being refreshed by God To do the work one more day. God has not left us without His messengers. He hasn't left us without His word. He hasn't left us at all. He knows our frame, He knows how weak we are, He knows how impossible. The work before us is the strength that you have right now. You look at the future and you say, it is impossible for me to do that. It's impossible. What part of impossible don't you understand? I can't do that. Tomorrow is too much for me. as though that's news to God. You're right. You don't have the strength for tomorrow. So get up and be refreshed. You don't have the strength for the journey. Eat and drink and be strengthened because you are going to go on that journey. When God says you're going to Horeb, you're going to Horeb. And you'll be strong enough. Though today you're not. You're right. Today, it's impossible. Tomorrow, He has provided you strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, we need you to give us strength. Refresh us with Your Word. Strengthen us to do Your work. Feed us. For we don't have the strength necessary to do the work that You're calling us to do. A journey to Horeb is too far. A fast of 40 days will kill us. Father, one more child will be the death of us. But you, you have everything we need and you've told us to be strengthened, to be refreshed, and not to worry. So, Father, we call upon you not to let us die, but to give us the strength we need to finish the work until our dying day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.